Hi, you're listening to another sermon from Deep Creek Anglican Church. Good morning, everyone. In my second year of university, I set out on a quest. The year was 1997, if you can believe that. You can, which is unfortunate. It was Monash Clayton. And I had connected in with most of the Christian groups on campus. I'd been a Christian for four years. And so I went along to Navigators, Students for Christ, and Christian Union. And I started asking around in every group, what did people think I should do about this thing called the gift of tongues? Now, navigators at Monash at that time were mostly focused on having arguments about anything and everything and uh, thinking about social justice. So they really weren't bothered with anything called a spiritual gift, and I couldn't get any help there whatsoever. Students for Christ, however, was right into it. SFC, as it was then, I can't remember what it's called now, um, was a Pentecostal group, and uh, I'd already heard students sharing testimonies uh, in their meetings about how they'd received the gift of tongues on the camp. So I asked the leader to give me some Bible study so that I could go away and see the foundation for why they embraced the gift of tongues so uh, significantly. He didn't actually have anything to hand. He found something from the 70s which uh, used the word dispensation a lot, and uh, we both admitted it wasn't very accessible. But he shared his experience with me, and he seemed really confident that tongues was a gift that I should expect to be able to ask and receive. Finally, I sat down with leaders from Christian Union, and if you know anything about CU or AFES, uh, you won't be surprised that they were ready and eager to study all the relevant Bible passages with me, and we did that in Whole Foods Cafe at Monash Clayton, if you've ever been there. Uh, We looked particularly at the book of Acts. Uh, We looked at the day of Pentecost when the Holy Spirit was poured out upon the disciples and they spoke in these other languages or other tongues in Jerusalem and they declared the wonders of God, the text says, uh, to those listening and they could hear it in their own language. But we also looked at the other parts in the book of Acts where different groups receive the gospel of Jesus and the Holy Spirit And they too, just like the disciples, spoke in tongues. There seemed to be some theology or pattern here uh, that tongues was like a marker for the gospel going out and the Holy Spirit being poured out upon believers from Judea and Samaria and the ends of the earth, which was the promise in the first chapter of Acts. But it was hard to work out whether that pattern was descriptive for then or prescriptive for now. Was it describing something that happened or was it prescribing something that should happen for you and me? I couldn't see anything that would make it only descriptive, given that we took most of the rest of it to be prescriptive, 
But my, my CU leaders were a fair bit more cautious. But the church I went to actually wasn't like any one of these groups, but some sort of mix of the best of all of them, I think. Yes, they wanted to make a difference in the world and they, were, they cared about social justice. They took the Bible really seriously as the final authority on faith and they taught from it every week. And they were expectant that God would show up in our midst in all the ways that he did in the Bible, including through people receiving healing, uh, people saying things that were from God, and the ability to pray in strange languages. I'd had people pray for me in words that I didn't know, and I'd been to other places with some friends from church where people spoke in languages that they then interpreted into a message from God. So I was determined not to be paralysed by the three approaches that I saw at uni, but instead to keep asking God for the gift of tongues. So one night in my room at age 19, sitting in my bed, I asked God again for the gift of tongues. And as one does in these moments, I promised that if I received it, I would use it whenever I could. And this time I decided to start speaking if that seemed like the right thing to do. And there it was. Some sounds or words that I didn't know that my mouth was making. Not many, and to be honest, I really wasn't sure whether I was just making it up. But there seemed to be something. A few words, a short sentence, a new vehicle to speak to God or declare things about God that weren't understandable to me. The gift of tongues. As the years went by, I kept my promise to varying degrees. In those first heady weeks, when I went back to uni, I would sort of mouth the strange words silently in lectures. I would uh, say things in tongues while I was listening to worship music, or when I was especially moved to ask God for something uh, particular for the world or for the church. I remember more than a decade ago coming here to Deep Creek for a special uh, worship night. Trish was leading uh, and I felt really prompted to pray for the blessing and protection of this church. And so I remember standing up the back and uh, praying in tongues whilst the worship was going on. Mostly, though, I would pray in tongues either by myself or if there was um, a time of prayer happening uh, and I was preparing to pray for someone in English. I never knew really what I was saying, but I did know that I should be seeking God in case he wanted to let me know. And in doing that, I came to the conclusion that I was most often declaring the power of God and the gospel of Jesus the King over situations of need. I also 
believed that I was being helped by the Holy Spirit to praise and thank God for all of his unspeakable and unseen beauty and grace in my life and in the world. It never seemed to be an earthly language like on the day of Pentecost, so I wondered whether, like Paul says in 1 Corinthians 13, it was words that angels might use around the throne of God. I concluded, along with the book of Acts, that I was declaring the wonders of God. So I actually still hold to this understanding of tongues, and I, I think I'm extrapolating it in general to the way that tongues primarily functions for believers. And I think that's consistent with Acts and Corinthians. In the book of Acts, tongues were not an asking for something, but a declaration of the wonders of God by believers into the world. When people received Jesus, they spoke his praises in a different language. In 1 Corinthians 14, which we've had read today, and it'd be great to open it up or follow along if you can, in verses 16 and 17, Paul describes tongues as praise and thanks. You're praising God, you're thanking God well enough. I think that this understanding of tongues challenges us to see that there is incredible spiritual power in declaring the truths about God praising him for what he has done, speaking out and praying thanks and declarations of who Jesus is, what the cross and resurrection have accomplished. I suspect that the reason I've seen more authority or urgency or sort of clarity in prayer on some occasions when I've used the gift of tongues it's because I've been declaring to the unseen spiritual realm that Jesus is the king and that his cross and resurrection is the final word about whatever situation I'm praying for. And it also seems that this declaring and praising and thanking is ministering to my soul sowing faith and confidence and peace. Scientists who have studied people who speak in tongues uh, have found through taking blood samples that after speaking in tongues, stress hormones, particularly cortisol, goes down and recovery markers, a particular enzyme, goes up after people have been speaking in tongues. It's like declaring the praises of God has ministered to your own soul. So with all that said, why haven't you heard me speaking or praying in a strange language up the front of church? I suspect like you, I have 
a deep longing for church to transcend the mundane things of life. I want God to show up when we gather. I want people to come in that door and I want them to say, God is alive, God is here. I want people to know that the reality of everything is summed up in our worship of Jesus and I want them to meet him and feel like it's different and heavenly and powerful and I want people to know peace with God and in themselves. And it seems like the tongues, as I've described it so far, should do that, tick those boxes. And yet in our reading today, Paul says that tongues as mysterious and spiritual and not mundane as they are, should not take centre stage in the gathering of God's people. So in the last two verses of our reading today, he says, I thank God that I speak in tongues more than all of you, but in the church, I would rather speak five intelligible words to instruct others than 10,000 words in a tongue. And you're like, five, that would be a good sermon. Nice. See, when those same scientists who measured stress hormones um, in tongue speakers had a chance to do brain scans on the same speakers, they could see that the language area of the brain was nowhere near as active when a person spoke in tongues as it was when they spoke in normal conversation. But Paul knew that already. He says in verse 14 of our reading today, for if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my mind is unfruitful. And in verse 9 he says, unless you speak intelligible words with your tongue, how will anyone know what you're saying? You'll just be speaking into the air. We may become more peaceful and we're affecting something in the spiritual realm. Of that I am convinced. But we're not producing understandable language content either in here or here. And Paul says, understandable content is actually what church is about. Now that sounds like a very Anglican thing to say. So I want to squash that thought if you have had it. I don't mean being academic is what church is about. I don't even mean uh, being focused on the good teaching we receive is what church is about. That's a twisting of what Paul is saying to the Corinthians. What he is saying is that gatherings of Christians will be powerful and encouraging and edifying and comforting when they are intelligible and orderly and welcoming. We're not just having one-to-one -one time with God. We are the body of Christ. And we want every single person present 
whether they've been in church forever or whether they're new to the church or somewhere in between, to see how the work of Christ applies to them. We want, through intelligible, understandable content, for each of us to be able to exercise the free will that God has given us, to respond as the Holy Spirit moves amongst us to the message that Jesus died and rose again. Church should be, through intelligible content, life-giving to the believer, surprising to the non-believer, and strengthening to the weary and doubting. That's why Paul writes in verse 5, I would like every one of you to speak in tongues, but I would rather have you prophesy. The one who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongues, unless someone interprets, so that the church may be edified or built up. So at a basic level, prophecy means uh, to hear and speak out a message from God for a particular people, place or situation to strengthen, encourage or comfort. That definition covers, I think, both the work and the writings of the prophets in the Old Testament. And it also describes just as well the gift of prophecy that was operating in the early church. But they're connected. The gift of prophecy in the church, which Paul tells people to eagerly desire and excel in, was the fulfillment of the Old Testament promise that one day a time would come when God's people wouldn't need one special person like Moses, Elijah, Elisha, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Joel to tell them how to know the Lord. They could each know the Lord for themselves in the community of God's people. This promise would be fulfilled when God poured out his spirit on people so that sons and daughters would prophesy. It was going to be part of the age of the spirit, the age of the church of Jesus, the body of Christ. Now, neither in the Old Testament or the New Testament did prophecy mean just telling the future, or, uh, nor did it mean uh, just words or messages directed at individuals. In churches, I think it looked like short sermons or insights shared from congregation members, which Paul says later in the book can take place in turn with two or three prophets speaking and the people weighing what is said against what they know of the Old Testament, the apostles' teaching and their own experience of the spirit of Jesus. But in the book of Acts, there were definitely occasions when Christian prophets would tell individuals that God was saying something specific or that something was coming in the future. In chapter 11 of the book of Acts, this is the early church, not the Old Testament, a man named Agabus prophesies that a famine would spread over the Roman world and Luke comments in that chapter that that happened during the reign of Claudius. In chapter 21, in Acts, this same Agabus uh, tells Paul that 
he will be arrested by the Jewish authorities, bound and handed over to the Gentiles. The church are horrified by this message and they say, well, don't go, Paul, if this is what's in store for you when you leave us. And Paul says, I'm willing to count the cost. I believe this individual prophecy is true, but I am still going to be on mission. So in verse 6 of the chapter we're looking at today, Paul lists things that a person could bring to build up the body. It's hard to tell if they're synonyms, sort of different words that mean the same thing, or whether they're distinct activities that people might do in church. He says, what good will I be to you unless I bring you some revelation or knowledge or prophecy or word of instruction? Whether that's all sort of the same dynamic or coming at things from a different angle but the same thing or whether they were distinct activities, Paul expects that ordinary church members will be bringing not just sermons that seem to come from their uh, reflection on, in their case, the apostles' teaching and the Old Testament, but some knowledge that they have received from God in some way, a revelation or an instruction, something to apply to the church, its mission to individuals to build up the church. There is so much we could say. And you, if you've been here for a long time, may have heard many sermons on this. If you've hardly been here at all, maybe you've heard nothing. Maybe you've got no, no knowledge and you're thinking, I don't know what you're talking about. That's okay. Great to get food for questions. No problems at all. But I want to spend the time that we have left just answering this one question. Because I think when we feel confident that God has arranged the church like this, then we can start to step out and see him calling us to take part. So the question I want to ask is, why? Why would God, and the Apostle Paul through him, want the church to learn its content through a number of its members hearing and speaking from God? Why would everyone in the church be called to eagerly desire and excel in taking part in content delivery? Whether they be uh, financially supported preachers or volunteer congregation members, people sharing something that they believe God is saying about the church or to the church or about the world or to individuals. Why? And I think it's a particularly pointy question now that we have, unlike the early church, the completed authoritative scriptures. This, in a way, is the apostles and the prophets, and it is the standard, the rule, by which we measure all truth about God. So why wouldn't God want us 
to just come together, sing and pray and just read the scriptures out loud to receive our intelligible content like that? Well, I believe that part of the answer lies in a phrase coined by a man called Marshall McLuhan, not a Christian man, a Canadian communication theorist. In his 1964 book, Understanding Media, he wrote, the medium is the message. The medium is the message. What he meant was that the type or mode of communication through which you receive content is not neutral in itself, but it too shapes you. It too gives you some sort of meaning. So not just the things that are communicated, the story, the opinion, the news, the teaching, whatever, affect your worldview, but the way you receive that content actually shapes you. So you might think of the difference between what reading a novel or watching a sitcom communicate to you about who you are. On a sitcom, you see people and you learn something about what women and men look like uh, and how they can expect to uh, interact with one another without using your imagination. You don't develop empathy in the same way as you do when you're reading a long-form novel. If you're reading a book that you've borrowed from the library, maybe you've received the understanding that actually the world is an incredibly complex and diverse place. And it takes some people a really long time to research into one subject before they really understand it. But if you jump on Twitter, for example, you might get a completely different message that what is useful is communication and understanding that is short and that provokes a response. The internet in general as a medium for communication teaches us that uh, experts no longer have the monopoly on delivering content. User-generated content means that all people have the same status in what they're communicating and that tells you something about yourself and about the world. The medium actually is part of the message. So when it comes to how God wants us to learn about him and get to know him, the medium through which he does this is not neutral. If I'm at a church where only the Bible is read without explanation or application, that communicates something to me without even saying it about where the complexity of my life today fits in with what God is about or not. If I only listen to uh, sermon podcasts from someone uh, in another country that I've never met and who's never met me, that actually communicates something to me about what it means to be part of the body of Christ, what following Jesus means, what sermons are really about. 
If I go to a church where uh, only one male leader speaks every single week, that's going to tell me something about myself and about God and about the purpose of the rest of the people in the church. Length, time, style, gender, everything communicates something in addition to the actual words being spoken. So when God designs the church of Jesus Christ to have something called the gift of prophecy, where ordinary Christians can expect to hear, speak, and build up the church with messages of encouragement, strengthening, and comfort about Jesus Christ, that are weighed against the scriptures and applied to my context and our situation, then I learn many essential things about the real God of the universe. I learn that God is not silent. I learn that God did not act in the past and then stop. I learn that I am needed. I learn that Jesus is the only mediator between God and humanity, not a single leader over the church, no matter how well-dressed they might be. I learn that God wants community of people to be at the heart of how I know him. I learn that God is powerful and gracious and inclusive and alive and relevant and dynamic and his word is constant and consistent and true. And I learned that Jesus is walking amongst his churches now, just as it says in the book of Revelation, speaking, building them up. And that he loves and trusts people, including people like me, who's pretty darn hopeless a lot of the time, enough to use us to help each other hear and respond to him. And it tells me that I have a responsibility to seek God myself, not just let someone else do it for me. Because God wants everyone, everywhere, to come to know him. And it might be my perspective or your perspective, your experience or my experience, your language or their language, that will help them come to meet him because they might be like you. Now, here at Deep Creek, the minimum this should look like is a variety of people being able to share from the front. Minimum. In sermons, leading, praying, testimonies, worship leading, whatever. It should look like me and you asking God to guide us before we come to church so that our conversations might have his revelation and instruction in them. Minimum. It should look like in our growth groups, asking God to help us to pray for people in an informed way, in ways that only he would know that are going to be useful for them, minimum. 
and it should look like anyone in leadership and our staff team seeking God and expecting him to provide the direction for the church. Minimum. But it could also look like you coming up to me after the service, before the service, during one of the songs and saying, you know what, I think I've got this thing, texting me, preferably not during the sermon, but, you know, the messages come to my watch and we can all just wait while I read it, weigh it. <laughs> After would be better or before, but if texting is, works for you, fine. It might look like you talking to your growth group leader and saying, I think I've got something that I want to share with this other member. Would you come with me so that we can all three of us be part of the conversation and weigh it up together? It might look like you coming to encounter nights and praying for people or standing up and saying, in this small group of people, in this kind of safe space, I feel like I could share this thing. Let's see if God is speaking. And so, and Ben told me these were my five intelligible words, what are you waiting for? We are longing for this church to grow. But we will only grow if we each take responsibility for hearing, speaking and building. Don't wait for me or the abundance of curates that we have to do it for you. Because that's not how God designed the church. And build yourself up in faith. If you have the gift of tongues, then like Jude says, Build yourselves up in your most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit, keeping yourselves in God's love as you wait for the mercy of our Lord Jesus to bring you to eternal life. Use it. If you don't have access to the gift of tongues and you feel confident to pursue God for it, great. Ask him. Have others pray for you. Come along to encounter nights. He may give it to you. He may not. That is absolutely fine because I tell you what, if he doesn't give you that gift, he's going to or already has given you something else to build up the church. Remember, if God isn't speaking, he has already spoken. Hear, speak, build. This is the recipe for the life we want at Deep Creek this year. Everything we need is before us. What are you waiting for?